Hello, and welcome to the Crackle Comics Episode 8 X-Men Supplemental, because Vince, we had five X-Men books this week, and we went, yeah, this needs its own recording, because Marvel's just flooding the waters. So we will be looking at the five X-Men books released this week. X-Men Fantastic Four number two, New Mutants number eight, X-Men number seven, X-Force number eight, and Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma Frost number one. I am Mike. And I'm Vincent. And we will. it, it will be an evolving discussion, but I feel like we're probably not going to want to do this every single week because the X-Men releases are not slowing down anytime soon. No, and they're so, ramping up. Uh, we'll we'll probably be having discussions, and we may be reevaluating how we cover this franchise. Even though you know I'm an X Men, I'm a big X Men fan. All of us are generally X Men fans, and M Mike and I have both been enjoying the Dawn of X line for the most part a lot. We may reevaluate things, especially since like at this point it's kind of comical because some weeks we'll read like two books from DC, zero indie books. And then five X-Men books, and it's like, that's a little weird. Yeah, that's exactly how it worked. I think this week we had what? Well, because we'll do the, the recording of the of our normal episode we'll be right after this. So if you are watching it live, stick around. But yeah, we had like four DC books. And then we have a bunch of Marvel books not factoring in X-Men. That's why we broke it up. And I was like, we have five X-Men books before we factor in the rest of Marvel. Like, we, it needs broken up, or else we're just going to give you a long two-hour show and no one wants that yeah so you can watch them separately if you're an x-men fan just watch this and say uh, go screw it to the rest so starting us off so i will kick things off with the supplemental with x-men fantastic four number two i also want to state i tried to do these the best in whatever confiled reading order these books are supposed to have based on continuity at this point so i put this first because this technically has to happen before anything else has happened in the line. So X-Men Fantastic Four number two, Chip Zdarsky, Terry Dodson. Cyclops informs the Fantastic Four that their children are not on Krakoa, and if they were, they would notify them. But he does say that Valeria is not welcome as he is not, as she is not a mutant. So it's like Snoo just snaps at Scott because she calls out the X-Men for taking higher priority on mutant life than humans, which rightfully so, that's also her child. Kitty and the kids wake up on Doom Island where Dr. Doom has moved all of his mutants from Latveria to here as like a safe space, but also informs the X-Men that <laughs> he can fix Franklin's powers if they make a deal with him because he realizes that there's going to be an eventual war with Krakoa's emergence and it's better to be on the side of peace now than have to fight them. So he grants the mutants that are with them amnesty if he can fix Franklin and they agree. And meanwhile, while this is going on, the Fantastic Four launch an attack on Kokoa as they didn't believe Scott, but escape with, with Sue creating force fields. She gets knocked out initially, but they use, because uh, they're, they're all wearing like anti-psychic helmets. So Reed lifts hers up while Emma's fighting her to like give her a jolt awake and they kind of escape. So I guess the Fantastic Four are the other, well, I can't say they're humans because they're like metahumans, right? So they're the other human type characters outside of McGann. Oh no, I was out of Brian Braddock that have uh, been to Krakoa now. So take that note forever, whatever you want it for. At the end of it, uh, they do escape, but the issue ends with Dr. Doom letting us know that he's always prepared and knows that the Fantastic Four and X-Men will both come for him eventually. So Dr. Doom is building Doom Sentinels. 
this was a weird issue. Like I still enjoy it, but Zdarsky, I think is definitely hitting into the vein that the X-Men aren't totally good guys. They're kind of like evil cultists in a way. They're not really heroes. They're, they're heroes to their, to their race and to their race only kind of. And that's kind of a side that's a little bit cooled off from, I feel like the Hicksman things, but Vince, what did you think of this? Like, I still enjoy it. I thought Terry Dotson's art, though, was a little rough in patches. Yeah, so usually Terry is inked by his wife, Rachel, and they, that's how they are here, and they're both credited on the cover. You have Dodson plus Dodson. But they have addition, two additional inkers, and I think they had the same on last issue, maybe even more. And I don't remember. I'm sure I complained about it last issue. It's a little inconsistent here. And I mean, it's a miniseries. And also, as you said, like this is not set in the present of the X line, or at least these four issues are probably, I mean, obviously they're right in a row at a certain point and at a certain point before the current stuff, because in the current stuff, you know, Kitty is dead and Kitty's locked dead in. And has tattoos. She doesn't have her tattoos here either. Yeah. Um, well, hmm. I didn't notice that. Do they show like close-ups on her hands and stuff? I know she wears her gloves on some of it with her costume. Well, she's mostly in gloves, but it, it has to clearly be also because, like we said, she's dead. But also, she's not like kind of a more hard-edged drinking self-care. She's much more compassionate. Yeah, there's definitely that. But I was in the previous issue. I was just chalking that up to characterization and context. But um, yeah, there's there's something off here. I mean, that just makes me think more than other things. And then. I mean, I enjoyed this issue. It wasn't as, it didn't have as like really complex and interesting, essentially debates and arguments as the first issue, which that was the real draw for that was how, especially once everyone got in person, how they were like straight up just, it was just like an issue of arguments and everyone being like very serious and very emotional at the same time. This issue, you have some of that um, between Cyclops and the FF, mostly Sue, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't hit in the same way. And there is some interesting stuff. You do this issue, get an actual direct footnote to the 80s miniseries. You do. I, think, I think we may have gotten that last issue too, or maybe not, I probably complained about it, but you get it here and that's really cool. And then, and then I was laughing when Reed's, like Reed's countering Sue and he's like, you can't just attack a nation. And it's like, uh, like, how many times have you guys like technically invaded Latveria? That's the that's the thing. Like, it, they've done it multiple times, but the most striking one is in Wade uh, Ringo's run, where Reed just fully like starts running the nation. Yeah, and there is a clever moment where so they go into code with helmets because there's like five telepaths that are gonna you know that can shut them down instantly, and these helmets neutralize that. And Sue gets knocked out after they have a very clever ambush, but then get like trashed quickly because someone knocks out Sue. And so they have to retreat and they, but they need Sue to fully to in order to fully retreat. So Reed has a clever moment where he like opens her helmet for like a second so that one of the telepaths can simply like connect to her, but then like closes it. And that essentially wakes her up. And that's a, that's a cool kind of way of, dancing around these powers, which I don't think I've seen too much before. Yeah. And Doom Island is a little weird. Um, 
I mean, I guess they're like on an island and they're technically like full still like Latvian citizens and everything like that. But I feel like you, you didn't get much questioning of like, oh, yeah, you took a portion of your population, a minority, and excise them from your homeland and put them on this island. Like, even if they're chilling on the island, it's like, you know, it's like kind of like a, you know, like a, I don't want to say, I don't want to jump to like internment camp or something like that. But it, it's it's that same kind of thing. Doom definitely is positioning them as a bargaining piece for something. Well, no, not even a bargaining piece because he doesn't want he doesn't want them to go to Krakoa. That's why he has them on the island because there's no gate there or anything like that. Well, he has it so no one knows where it is. It's like it's like yeah. And then I, I always like uh, Valeria's uh, interactions with Doom and and Franklin as well to a lesser extent. And honestly, the the final page, and we have no idea where this is going, but that's the thing that throw, threw me off. Because I honestly went into this issue, like, besides the whole, like, Krakoan mutants on the island thing, which is, I mean, Latvian mutants on the island, which I just mentioned. Besides that, like, this issue is, like, yeah, Doom's just chilling, and he wants to help out, like, his nephew and kind of stick it to Reed, but, like, he's not up to some evil shit. Yeah. Um, and so the last page kind of threw me off on that. And I think this also has to take place after the Doctor Doom book, if that's even canon. Because I have no idea where that book takes place. There's there's a quick conversation that he has with his like uh, replacement in Latveria. Totally and there, there's also reference to Latveria being destroyed, which I feel like didn't he accidentally, I don't know, whatever. Maybe that's, I think that might be from Fantastic Four. Who knows? But it was a fine issue. I did like the fact that at least Ben called out Reed for like, dude, you messed up for putting a power dampener on your kid. Yeah. Yeah. I li- Actually, that was besides like, like, and that's right after the conversation with Scott. I liked all that because Sue is like, has her certain perspective. And then Reed is like, no, but this. And then Ben is like, no, but this. And then Johnny's like, no, but we still got to save our kids. Yeah. And so everyone gets their own pers- their own like point of view and it's all in character for them. But then it all gets wrapped up and it's like, yeah, we got to, you know, we got to do this thing. The other thing with Doom having the Doom Sentinels is like eventually the X-Men and Fantastic Four are going to have to work together here. So. Yeah, but I, I that's not what I was full actually that's, that's actually not what I was expecting. Right. Especially with the way the tone that the, both of these two team, like factions feel with each other right now, but it's still good. I'm I'm happy this is a mini series. Like I feel like maybe five issues too much, but that's just because the market is just flooded with X books. Yeah. Number two is New Mutants number eight. This is one of the Ed Brisson issues with Marco Faia. I don't even. Who is Brisson's main artist supposed to be? Is it this? Is it this? I I have no idea anymore. Okay, yeah, I don't remember. Um, obviously, I know Rob Reese on the Hickman issues. So the telepath twins, there's like Maxine and whatever, they are leaking things to Shaw. And at first you're like, oh no. And especially, again, because we know Shaw is up to some crazy shit because he was involved with Kitty's death. So, you know, that puts you on the edge. And obviously these kids are little bastards, for, at least from, you know, this entry point. And then Magma takes Boom Boom and Arma to Armor to Nova Roma, which is her home. It's like this like secluded, fake Roman revivalist uh, nation, like uh, nation state in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. It, and I think it's also like moved places through the years. I don't really, 
I don't fully understand Nova Roma. It's really stupid, but it turns out that there are big monsters hunting any mutants that near the gates in that area, which was teased earlier. I don't know if they connected it to, to Nova Roma, but I believe in like one panel or page, we got a tease for this. I don't know if it was a previous New Mutants issue or if it was like a ending of X-Men number one or even House of X where it kind of teased some of the arcs coming up, but I remember seeing this. And this is essentially presented as their rebound mission after the incident in Nebraska. And they run into these monsters and there's some fun action. There's a really badass moment where armor rips one in half and then boom, boom, sneaks a bomb into one's mouth, exploding it to bits. And that's basically how it ends. They defeat the monsters and then they go home and they rescue the mutants as well. But the Shaw thread is that he's making money moves and you think that he's going to work with the cartel because you think he set up the cartel and then, you know, like he is with Kitty, he is then, uh, you know, culpable for Beak's parents' deaths. But that's not the case, or at least not fully, because he ends up backstabbing the cartel guy for threatening mutants and, uh, you know, in the last arc. And he says that he's going to work with the other cartel, the rival cartel. And of course, this is technically Shaw's job. Like he's the black market equivalent of Emma, even though she's like kind of, I don't know, um, in the Hellfire Trading Company. But he backstabs them. And earlier they're like, we're going to shoot you right here. And then they don't shoot him right there. I mean, it's Shaw. So like, I don't think they necessarily could like knock him out. And also he's a mutant. It's Krakoa. It doesn't matter. But they kind of just roll over or, you know, accept that they're fucked here. And then the final page, we see someone looking at the corpses of these monsters. And it's this blonde chick and she has other monsters. And I don't think I'm supposed to recognize her. I have no idea who that is. It could be it's someone I'm really blanking on. I don't think so. I think it's a new villain again. What did you think of New Mutants? I thought it was good. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I... I... I think I've been vocal where I like the the kind of younger team issues more than the Hickman issues, just because I feel like plot is moving. But even here, like, I feel like this book's just like treading water. I wish they would just fully give it to Ed Brisson. It's the same guy who writes Ghost Rider. I don't know why I never remember that. <laughs> yeah, I just wish they'd fully just give it to Brisson because, like, after last week's issue with Hickman where it was just, like, teasing pages we would have rather seen and just like so jokey and fourth wall breaky i'm like i'd rather have this that's that's kind of my thing but also when i read the solicits i i swear new mutants number eight was supposed to be a, a hickman issue back to back to make up for the lateness but i i guess not i'm not sure uh, but that is a turnaround for you and uh, initially early issues of the series you were like very down on the briston sections no 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 or i like and sections i was down on the Hickman okay side. yeah and, and sort of down on the book in general which you're not a not necessarily a turnaround on that either well i'm turning down on the book regardless at this yeah, point that's what i mean lowest tier for me right now i also want to say i'll close this out that i think in uh i'm going to vote this as the best cover among the x-men books this week i think this is a really great magma cover it's not quite in the way that rod reese or I think it is a Rod Reese cover. Yeah, so it... It still has the Sienkiewicz feel in it, though. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. It it, it evokes that um, Sienkiewicz version of Magma. Basically, the Sienkiewicz version of all the New Mutants are the definitive versions, at least in the way that he displays their powers and all. So 
This is probably the new definitive cover of Magma besides whatever Sienkiewicz did 40 years ago. And uh, it's a lot more engaging of a cover than the giant size cover, which is a great cover by Russell Dodderman, but it's kind of just two characters floating in the air. So this, in fact, on our Instagram, I posted this as my pick for the cover of the week among the books that we are covering. I'd say as far as graphic design goes, I think New Mutants is my favorite when it comes to the covers and the graphics uh, for the logos in the book. It's just a shame. Like I'd like to like this book more. It just it needs to find a concrete direction and stop bouncing between. I think to really have a better feel. Because aren't they collecting this? And like if you're if you're gonna buy this in trade, I'm pretty sure like if you're you're doing volumes where you're just getting Briston issues and you're just getting Hickman issues. That's ridiculous. Yep, correct. Kind of, sort of, not really similar to the way DC... This series in general, I would compare it to the way Greg Rucka's Rebirth of Wonder Woman was done. Oh, yes. Where you had... It was all Rucka, but you had alternating issues with different artists overlapping arcs. And then they collected them. So volume one was issues one, three, five, seven, whatever. Yeah, but it was still six issues for both volumes. Yeah. All right. Well, I... A, a YouTuber got an, er, uh, well, I'll just say near mint condition, got a early look at Marvel's September solicits and the first trade for Ben Persing's Wolverine collects issues numbers one through three. And yes, technically number one is double sized. Or, or one through five. Yeah. But even, all right, one through three on the surface is ridiculous. But then past the surface, it's still technically four issues. So it's like, yeah. Whatever, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I had a chance, so I, I'm kind of going into the weeds here, but I have been using DCBS for a couple months now, and I haven't, I still haven't received any of my orders, despite making like three orders, because yeah. that's just the reality of the weird comic book pre-order system. But uh, I had the chance to pre-order some of these first X-Men trades. And I had it in, in an order, and then I'm like, no, nah, let me delete it out of the order. Because it's Hickman, and he's attempting weird stuff with the continuity and things like that. And there's certain series which I still was fully evaluating. So they'll do something in hardcover. And just like Rucka, and it'll work better, I think, for New Mutants than Wonder Woman. That you know, When they get to a hardcover, they might just put the issues in a row. Yeah, or like the first half of the book be the, the Hickman stuff, the second half be the Brisbane stuff, not alternating because you could easily just bind them that way, which would be better. Um, at least with Tom King's Batman, they put things in sequence the way they should be in uh, trades for Batman. I, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it. I, I, they announced today the, the first crossover event and that might be my jumping off point, the, the X-Men swords or whatever. So yeah, yeah that that's weird. Um, and it'll potentially be relevant in this next issue. I don't think yeah. so. Well, the funny thing, it like it, we're, we're segueing into it like that. But like when I sent it to you, because I, I I sent it to you, I messaged it to you today. Your reaction to me was, "Is this a parody?" Like, but it's from the official Marvel account, so it's not. Yeah, but I'm not sure if there's potentially a connection to this issue. I don't think so. Uh, it's just total coincidence. X-Men number seven. This is a Lionel U issue. And we open with a Guthrie family reunion. 
And Sam Guthrie, the most famous Guthrie, aka Cannonball, is one of 11 children, at least that we know of. Um, I believe I counted that right. One of them is also adopted or a stepchild or something. And I asked to our to our viewers, did you know that the first appearance of Husk, uh, his most prominent sister, and several of these other siblings is not the Generation Next crossover that set up Generation X, which Husk was a major member of, nor is it an issue of New Mutants early on. Most of these characters, including Husk, who's a kind of major character, first appeared in ROM annual number three, which is really weird. And then as far as the named characters who are actually here, Joshua, AKA Icarus, was a character prominent for a brief arc in Chuck Austin's run on X-Men. And it was this whole dumb Romeo and Juliet thing where like he was in love with some non-mutant rival girl, a girl from a rival family down where the Guthries live in the South. And then Stryker got mixed up and he was a religious fanatic. So then Icarus died. And you know, it, it's Icarus, that's his name. So the, it was in, his entire point was to die for dramatic effect. And also back in that run around that same time, well, in that arc is when Husk, who I'm pretty sure was underage at the time, had sex with Angel in the sky above her entire family and her friends in the X-Men. And then our final Guthrie here is, is Arrow, uh, real name Melody, who has been even less prominent than all of the above. She's never had like much of a focus. She's only really been there to react to her brother's death. And also she got depowered on M-Day, which I will actually get to that's totally relevant. Also Skin is in the background there, who also was killed in Chuck Austin's run. And that was already referenced in previous issues, kind of like on... I think on text pages or like kind of, no, it was quickly in conversation. It was in connection to sync. It was, it was, I, th I think it was last X-Men issue when they have sync Darwin and X-23 go check out the children of the vault. Um, they explain how sync kind of came back a little iffy or someone came back a little iffy. So when they brought back sync, they brought skin with him because they're both Gen X guys who were, were dead. So they could acclimate together better. Uh, but skin is just in the background for one panel in this issue. And there's some talk about the crucible. And then Scott and Logan discuss the crucible as well. And there, we also have here some teasing and homoerotic jokes about their relationship with Gene and with each other. And there's, I'll get to more of that at the end of this segment, but I still think despite clickbait articles, Nothing is remotely clear. And I don't know that we you know, need it to be clear or ever will get it clear. And there's also a quick tease about the situation status quo with uh, Cypher, a.a. Doug, because Scott thinks that he sees him sitting across and having a conversation with Warlock when, to our knowledge, they are essentially in their Douglock form fused and Warlock doesn't really have you know, much agency or you know, separate from Doug. And we get introduced to the Crucible. It turns out it's some like fucked up human sacrifice shit. They essentially kill a flawed mutant so that they are able to be reborn fixed. And Exodus explains some of this in reference to Scarlet Witch and M-Day. And the kids chant that Wanda is a pretender related to her, like, you know, not being a mutant, whatever. 
And this made me think like, oh shit, like this Cohen status quo and this scene, like does it, is it a further nail in the coffin of Wanda and Pietro ever being mutants again? And if they do become mutants again, like, you know, how do they transition back in, uh, you know, definitely to Krakoa and the mutant community when with an increasing focus on like mutant survival and mutant legacy, like her reputation would be even under even greater uh, magnifying glass, even though she has atoned for some stuff. And the, t the uh, tie-in there, I mean, the Crucible is here because Arrow, Melody Guthrie, wants to be reborn. And so the way this works is you step into like a gladiatorial arena and you draw a sword and fight to the death. But it's like, it's not like suicide by cop slash superhero it's really like you're literally fighting until not like you can't fight anymore but you fight until you're forced into being killed and in this instance it's apocalypse i don't know if it's always apocalypse i was expecting exodus because he's like explaining it all to the little kids and we we don't really have you know we haven't seen any role for exodus much in, on krakoa and apocalypse you know, in Excalibur and, and elsewhere is all up to all kinds of stuff already. But she has a sword fight with Apocalypse and she fucking dies and is reborn. And now she has her powers back and she follows in her family legacy by flying up in the air naked. But ironically, that joke, or the ironic part about that joke is that Husk is the only major Guthrie without flight powers. Because of course, Cannonball, you know, uh, he can project himself with his powers we see her powers and obviously Icarus has wings and what I glossed over just to make the synopsis more, uh, you know, make more uh, flow better is that this entire issue is laced through with Scott and Nightcrawler having a conversation kind of digging into serious moral quandaries. And there's also like this weird building in the middle of Krakoa, which only Kurt can enter. And it's like kind of a church looking and Kurt's finale after witnessing this very strange new tradition. And also this is the first time they've ever, ever done a crucible. And the, re and the specific reason that they have this tradition is that otherwise there would just be like hundreds of mutants who many of which are probably already on Krakoa who would just like slit their throats because they, you know, are left over from M day. So they don't have powers even though they're mutant. Um, and so Kurt decides he's going to start a religion you know, a mutant or Cohen religion. And this should be very interesting because Christianity is very core to the character of Nightcrawler. So strained from that, evolving that, it's a, it's a delicate balance. But, you know, you can say that about almost everything that's been done in this era. I enjoy this issue. Also, having not seen the movie, like Mike, as, as someone who did see the movie, does... does uh, Melody give you midsummer vibes. I don't know anything about that movie, but just from like snippets, they wear flowers in their hair. I think that's like no. It's just watch Midsummer. <laughs> okay. Um, I I will say though, what what's that Twitter that Twitter page? Uh, snapshots moments before disaster or hor <laughs> horrible things. The minute said, uh, Kurt said, I'm going to start a religion. I was like, well, this is all going to go downhill. Mutant Scientology. Yeah, like, yeah, there's that. Like, I, this is a very, very good issue of kind of very, like, layered science fiction writing bringing up all these moral quandaries. 
So I like that a lot. Lionel U is back for this. I've never been a true Lionel U fan. So I was actually, per- I, I was preferring the issues he wasn't drawing. So, but he's back. Um, and I'll, like, I'll gladly take him. Like, I don't hate his art, but I think um, I, I really ho- was just hoping that uh, the House of X, Powers of X, Mateo Lolly, anyone that I'd, I'd take on X-Men over, over Lionel U just because I think their art works better for this kind of line. But yeah, good issue. I like the fact that we highlighted Kurt for the first time since like Hawksbox. He has nothing really, ha- he's had nothing to do. He's on the Quiet Council. And he's not really on any team, so nice to see him here. I yeah, the whole Crucible deal is kind of weird, but Scott still brings up they they have the wills that they have to deal with as well with people, and that's where we get into like the DNA power mixing that we saw in Hawksbox. If that's if that's going to happen, which obviously that's way down the road if we're going to answer that. But yeah, another very good, interesting kind of thought provoking issue of X Men, which is what this series has been so far. And that's what I like. It is weird how every issue of this, it's the flagship book. And I think I say this every time there's no overarching story here. It's just kind of self-contained stories over a much larger narrative. If you want your more kind of comics, traditional comics of the ongoing storyline, you're going to have to read all the other books. X-Men is kind of basically one and done's um, over a larger picture Oh, um, each issue, which I do find that interesting as your flagship. I mean, you, you say, you know, modern, you, I don't know. Ironically, this is closer to traditional comics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realize as I say, I, I'm talking modern era of like, cause you write to the trade. Here's your six issue arc where they fight. So-and-so this is, it's it's a lot more different, even from his Fantastic Four and his Avengers, from what I remember, because Avengers was always building up with Ex Nihilo and uh, building the giant team around the world and facing the incursions. There and then Fantastic Four was always building towards Future Foundation, the death of Human Torch, the Annihilus Wave, all that. So this is kind of like big picture stuff here, where he keeps setting up seeds. So I I, I am interested to see where it's going to go, but. We want to talk about X Force. Did you, by the way, did you read X Force this week? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is Ben Percy, Oscar Bazaljua, and Bazaljua is only credited by his last name here. There's no Oscar. I don't know if you noticed that in the credits page. But Domino kills her imposter self that we set up in the last issue, and heads back to Krakoa for more information from Stage. Her luck powers are coming back as well, and she's shows this on the page by she's able to pick up a four leaf clover and find one. Um, she knows to herself that she hasn't stopped moving since the attack on Krakoa um, and has been keep, keeping moving in order to not feel like the anxiety of pain from like the attack that happened at the beginning of X-Force. She runs into Colossus while swimming at night and they both embrace because both of them keeping up with their similar experiences. We set that up in the last issue. Sage and Forbes Domino, that cl- the clover um, she gave her, uh, gave her an idea on where to strike next as there's a concentrated mass of four-leaf clovers in St. Petersburg. And since they siphoned off part of Domino's DNA and were splicing it into people, that's going to give them part of the luck powers too. And a four-leaf clover, she says, is you find one in every 10,000 clovers has four leaves on it. So there must be another DNA splicing center here. So Domino gets uh, Colossus to help her go attack it, and they go and take it out. Um, She gets injured, but they kind of once again embrace saying she won't die if he doesn't want her to. 
as she doesn't want to lose the experience that she has. It's kind of some layered stuff there that I like. Um, it's different. Our epilogue sees the Peacock Man and the Xeno having another meeting where they are counting their losses as they've been now hit twice now by X-Force. And a shadowy figure comes out from the shadows uh, telling them that democracy is for the weak and he brings them a declaration of war. So it's almost like a coup's going on here. Uh, another good issue of X-Force. Um, still like pretty much like my second favorite book uh, behind Marauders. But Vince, what did you think? This is actually... For this arc, at least, for these past two issues, I think this has actually dropped to my lowest X-Men book. Okay. Um, but your mileage may vary. I thought it was funny how Domino instantly dealt with her double, who was like, I like the big... That. I didn't want to see that for another four issues. Yeah. It's a surprise and, and a twist because she's a big deal in the end of the last issue. And then it's like, oh my God, this is going to be a thing. And she just shoots her dead. And the the Clovers are specifically in a line and that's what how they realize that it's a train. And then this is my favorite part of the issue, at least visually and in like in terms of comics and stuff, because they do they they convey the action as well as the storytelling within the train, yeah, the you know, the fight in a pretty cool way. With both characters uh, not really their powers, because Domino, I mean she's always using her powers, but they they're also conveying how Domino and Colossus fight and use their powers within that train sequence very well too. And it, I mean, the, the characters here work really well. I mean, Colossus, at, you know, he's had his periods of melancholy, of course. And they these two have dated in the past. There was an X Force run in like the early 2010s, and uh, also that train sequence a lot better than the train sequence in Dark Phoenix, the movie. I didn't see Dark Phoenix. And then in the end, it's like Domino's die. Domino dies here, even though like they don't like it's set up like, oh, I'm gonna die. Let me die. I think she was she's gonna live um, because she's gonna use her luck powers to save her, which is basically that's how I read it. Yeah, I mean that could be it, but it's, it's otherwise it seems like it's set up like, oh, let me die here in your arms. But then like they don't focus on the fact that she just dies. So maybe she didn't die, and what you said is correct. But she's like, let me keep my memories, which, again, I don't know how that works because that goes back to, like, uh, some of the Mystique stuff when she died and was resurrected. It's like, I don't know how the memory stuff works. And then if she does die here, and, in fact, I think she does die here because connected back to the to the Crucible stuff is that in the, in the end of all these issues, you see, like, kind of a grayed-out version of the next cover in the design. And she has both of her arms. Ah, like okay. arm. So I think she does die, which is interesting because her whole thing was like, nah, I'm okay with these scars. I'm fine with them. And that's what she tells Colossus in this issue. But if she's going to die, like, you know, they can't bring her back with her fake arm. So she'll have her arm again, which I was kind of I mean, waiting for. Bring her back and immediately slice her arm off. Yeah. Why would do that? And then this Xeno thing, unlike New Mutants, which again, I don't recognize recognize the new entities, so I think it's a new thing. But if this guy in shadows, he's not fully teased, he's not shown. So again, I don't know if this is a new character or someone I, when he is revealed, someone I will recognize. But it was interesting to compare the two ends of these issues because you have these villain teases and one of them is fully shown, a splash page right in the end, and the, the, the one steps out of the shadows, but he's still in shadow. 
I would say the last thing on X-Force, the panel and the train you're talking about is very reminiscent of Nick Darrington's panel and page layout from Batman Universe, where Batman and Nightwing are, like, fighting all the guys, like, you look at it, like, all, all the way through, they're just, like, right, the down and up. There's also a near-identical sequence in uh, a book called Chastity, published by Dynamite. Oh, there you go. But our final um, next book. Yes. Giant size X-Men. This is the biggest release of the week, I think. Like it, well, X-Men was kind of more important. Giant size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma Frost. This is Jonathan Hickman, so we get double Hickman dipping this week. Russell Dodderman, and colors by Matt Wilson. This is the uh, art team known for a ton of Thor work over the last couple of years. And the on the cover and inside, Jean is rocking, I guess, her costume from like X-Men Red but it's green instead of red as, as the prominent color. And that costume as a whole is a throwback to kind of her 90s Jim Lee design. She's not wearing the 60s design, which we've seen Hickman usually have her in through Dawn of X. So I don't know how that works, especially since like, it's not because she's doing an active role thing here because she's kind of not in this issue. And also she has been doing that occasionally in X-Force. So I don't know, I don't know that it matters I don't know that it will be explained. Some kids are just playing around and they come across Storm on the ground with blood. And Emma and Jean are going to see if they can figure out what's going on. Scott and Jean show up holding hands. She kisses Logan on the cheek and obviously Emma is there. And then the two telepaths enter Storm's psychic plane essentially. They fight some metaphorical shit. They're like in Africa on the plains. They're fighting snakes and stuff. And then there's an elephant with butterfly wings, which is a badass thing. It's basically just a big fucking trip. And also, it's entirely silent. They kind of spell some things with their psychic energy stuff occasionally to communicate or to illustrate something. But technically, it's silent. And it turns out, as they walk out, the revelation is that the children of the vault have given Storm a machine virus that will kill her in 30 days or less. That's the end. Where the hell does this go next? Because obviously there is no resolution in this issue. I guess Storm is getting a giant size, but that's like two or three giant sizes down the line. And I don't imagine that they would just follow up on it there. I'm betting it's also not continued in the next giant size, which I, th which I think might be Magneto, because that would be strange. So I'm guessing maybe this flows back into X-Men, especially since the Children of the Vault arc has to come back up there eventually as well. Um, and how will they collect all this? Who knows? It gives me anxiety. The art here was great. I mean, Dodderman and Wilson, everything they do looks great, but there's also some interesting stuff, especially off the bat with layout. And then once they get into the psychic plane, it's just, you know, no holds barred. There's crazy stuff. But the major thing, the coolest thing to me is that this is all a throwback to new X-Men number 121 when this same pair enter Xavier's head during Grant Morrison's run, and that has to do with the revelation of Cassandra Nova's origin. And it's the same, literally down to Scott and Logan waiting outside for them, literally down to them, you know, like spelling stuff and cheating the silent issue, and then breaking the silent issue both in the beginning and then most prominently at the end, because Gene's final line, we ought to talk, is literally exactly the same in both issues. So I thought that was really clever and very interesting because as I mentioned earlier in the show on previous issues, 
the X-Men issue, which was the other Hickman issue, kind of sort of not really relied on uh, continuity or at least, you know, knowledge and, as a reader to uh, from stuff like Chuck Austin's run and uh, House of M and all things like that. So that, you know, Hickman actually, you know, it, it's a Dawn of X is a clean slate, but it's also not, which is, uh, you know, the, the best way that he could handle it for me and for other X-Men fans. What did you think as we close out this overly long supplemental episode? I, I, I mean, thought it was brilliant yeah, with the callback to new X-Men, um, which was amazing. Donnerman is always a pleasure to look at his art. I believe Wilson's always the colorist for him, by the way. that's I think they're just basically a tandem at this point. So that that's all great. I was happy to see that it was a book that they were going to take more of a kind of creative freedom with to do something like this. I don't think you could get away with this if this was like a regular issue of X-Men. Um, it looks like Giant Size is the place for more, some more experimental fun stuff to happen, and I hope we do get that. Without going too much deeper into this, just because I don't really have much more to say, is that I... Uh, number one, like I read this and I was like, oh, well, Storm's going to die. That's that's pretty big deal. And I was like, wait, they can just bring her back. And they have yeah. miracle drugs. So what's the big deal? Yeah, I don't know how it works. I mean, there may be an explanation that we're missing, like, oh, this virus, you know, it counteracts yeah. the, the five and, and things like that. So that's why they have to solve it. Or maybe they're just like, yeah, I mean, we could let her die, but also, you know, why not try and save her? Right. The other um, thing with is like you could use the Krakoan language to figure out what the signs on the door actually say, but I didn't have time to do that this week. No, I never do that. The other thing, uh, I have two more things. Uh, ultimately, this is like, you could kind of call this the Storm issue. It's really about all three characters, even though Storm is like technically not conscious or has any agency in this issue whatsoever. It really does kind of dig into um, her mind and things like that. And it's, it's all about her. And additionally, Hickman has titled this story Life Death, which is a very prominent storm. No, he thing. called it Life Death. He called X-Men Life Death. Oh, okay. All right. Well, it would be more frustrating if this was Life Death because that's a very prominent storm thing. Right. But at the same time, it's more annoying that something is being called Life Death and doesn't have anything to do with Storm. Even though she's in that issue, so this issue has to take place after that probably because Storm is like the go-to person when people come out of the pod and they dance naked in front of everyone, she's she she uh, hypes them up. But yeah, so jumping back a bit, I don't know why X-Men was titled Life Death. There's no reason. It has no connection to the prior stories. And you could have called it, you know, whatever. Should have been called Death to Life. Or, yeah, or, or whatever. So that is this week's book, this week's X-Men books. I think it was a very good week for the X-Men books. Um, all these books were very strong. But that being said, we just talked about them for nearly 50 minutes. And we have an entire other show to do. So, as we said, an evolving process. Yeah. This, we wanted to go like 35 and then we went 17 over. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Peace, guys. Check out the main. If you're watching, bye-bye.